All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to those of you at our 10 campuses across the state of Minnesota. Also, those of you watching online as well. Hey, before I dive in, just want to let you know we are opening a campus in downtown Minneapolis on September 10th. That's in just a couple weeks, so it's going to happen pretty quick here. You're going to see some pictures behind me of this campus. We were there for our staff meeting this week, and it is a wow. I mean, it really feels like a holy place to be able to worship uh, God, and so we're so thankful uh, for that building and for that opportunity. Uh, if you remember, we bought a historic building in downtown Minneapolis. We spent the last year or so renovating it to kind of mix the modern with the old and the vintage in a really cool way. But you might be wondering, hey, if I want to go, where do I park? I mean, it's downtown Minneapolis. Where am I supposed to park? Well, we do have a parking lot right adjacent to the church, but that probably won't hold everyone. And so as you can see on the map here, we've got a parking ramp right across the street it's literally right across the street. And the way it works is you just pull into the public parking ramp, you bring your ticket over the next step space in the lobby, they'll give you a voucher. So when you leave, you stick in your ticket, you stick in your voucher, pff, arm goes up and you park for free. Uh, so it's a really easy way to do it. You can find more information on our website, eaglebrookchurch.com, location, Minneapolis. But here's the question I want to ask you. Do you know someone who lives in Minneapolis that you could invite to opening weekend? Most of the time when we open up a new campus, everybody's on an equal playing field. And so even if you haven't been to church in a while or you haven't been going to Eagle Brook, you're like, yeah, I kind of wanted to check that out. And opening weekend is a great time to try that. So do you know somebody in Minneapolis or even places like Golden Valley, Richfield, this is five minutes from there, that you could invite to come to church? I truly believe that God would use you in someone else's life if you did. All right, today we are beginning a new series called That's so mega church. And the idea for this series came from the Barna Research Group. They researched church kinds of issues, and this past May, they released a study where they found that only 16% of teenagers and adults have a positive view of a mega church. It means 84% have a negative view of mega churches. Mega churches are defined as a church of more than 2,000 people. There's about 1,500 of them that exist in the United States, and our church is one of them. And so as I'm reading this article about how only 16% of people have a positive view about larger churches, I thought, this isn't good. I mean, this is a real barrier if you wanted to invite someone to come and check out your church. And so I started reading the articles and reading the comments to figure out why. Why do some people have such a negative view of a church that has over 2,000 people? And there were several different reasons. One of the most common was, one was what they said, it's shallow. The perception that people have is that a large church is shallow. There's no meat. One person said it's mixed sermons. It's just they don't talk about sin. They don't talk about judgment. They don't talk about hell or any of those kind of hard issues. They essentially tell people what they already wanted to hear. They just tickle ears, and that's why people come. Another perception that people had was that large churches are just out to get money. They're greedy. They're corrupt. They just want to get big for their own ego. They're all about the show. In fact, last year, FX did a documentary on a large church that's based in Australia. It's been plagued with scandals. Around the same time, Netflix released a documentary called Mega Church Exposed. To the average American who just gets up, goes to work, comes home, flips on Netflix, 
goes to class, goes to school, comes home, flips on Netflix and goes, hey, what, what should we watch? This is their only exposure, exposure to church and to Christianity. So when you say, hey, you should come and visit my church, or hey, would you ever be interested in becoming a follower of Christ? Right away, they go, whoa, no, I don't want to be that. I watched that documentary on Netflix. So in this series, we wanted to address some of the most common questions that people have about megachurches and church in general. Now, you're here today, or you're watching online, so I'm guessing you're not in the 84% that has a negative perception. But I also believe that when you invite someone to come to church, you might be asked some of these questions. You might be questioned, well, why would you go there to that church? Or why would you believe the things that you do? And so in this series, we want to give a vision for, for what is God's purpose for the church? That when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the church began to grow and explode in growth what did a healthy, thriving church look like? And was the size of the church the determining factor with whether or not God was pleased or not? See, here's what I know to be true. I know some large churches that faithfully teach the Bible and make an incredible impact in this world. I know some small churches that faithfully teach the Bible and make an impact in this world. I know some large churches that have been plagued by corruption and scandal and have had senior pastors and others have to resign because of sin in their life. And I know some small churches that have been plagued by scandal and corruption and pastors have had to resign because of sin in their life. In other words, I don't believe it's the size of the church that determines whether or not God is pleased with the church. Today's message is titled, It's All About the Show. You ever thought that before? You ever walked into a church, they've got video screens and music and coffee shops, and you're like, oh, it's all about the show. Growing up, I didn't hunt. My dad wasn't a hunter. My friends didn't hunt. I kind of just played sports and things like that. And so I never went hunting. In fact, I had never shot a gun before. And maybe this goes without saying, since I had never shot a gun, but I had also never been to the gun range in my life. Until a few years ago, some guys in my small group said, hey, this would be a great guys night outing. Let's go to the gun range. I was nervous. I didn't know what to wear. This is really important when you go to the gun range. You want to be fashionable. And I knew there was going to be a lot of camo, a lot of camouflage at the gun range. I didn't own any of that. And so I ended up wearing basketball shorts and an American Eagle sweatshirt, just blended right in. When I got there, it was like a secret society that I knew nothing about. There was guys sitting on kind of the back end of their truck, tailgating, just hanging out. When one guy bent down and started pouring his beer into his dog's water bowl, I was like, where's Jeff Foxworthy? Like, what is going on right now? We were shooting clay pigeons, and it was a lot of fun, but at one point, I got paired up with these two girls that were there with their boyfriends. And one of the girls, she also had never shot a gun before in her life. And so I was right next to her. And at one point, she finally got one of these clay pigeons. And I'm not making this up. This is exactly what she did. She shot it. And then she went, did you see that? <laughs> and I was like, that was, pointed out there. What are you doing? Oh my goodness. The whole time that I was there, I felt like an outsider. Sadly, I think when a lot of people come to church, that's how they feel. 
they feel like an outsider. They come to church, they don't know what to wear. They're not really sure what to expect. We stand at sometimes, we sit down at others. We sing out loud in front of other people. If you didn't grow up in choir, that feels weird to most people. We recite prayers. I remember the first time I ever went to a church, I, we stood up and we all recited the Lord's Prayer. And so everybody else stood up and they were like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I stood up and I was like, Our Father. I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. I was brand new to church, but I didn't want other people to know that I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. So I kind of mumbled the whole thing, hoping people wouldn't notice that I didn't know what I was doing. And this was probably my first time. I felt like an outsider. One of the reasons why I felt like an outsider was growing up as a kid, I never went to church. I didn't go on Easter. I didn't go on Christmas. In fact, I've talked about this before, but the first time I ever went to church in my life, I wandered into a Catholic mass in college wearing a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt and basketball shorts. And I was mortified to find that all my peers were wearing collared shirts and khakis. Worse yet, I could not understand what the message was about. I mean, I didn't know what an altar was. I didn't know who the Pharisees were or the Gentiles were. It just, it completely went over my head. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might reach them. He says all possible means. In other words, apart from sin, I'm going to use any tool, any method I can, if it means it would lead another person to Christ. Paul had been a Jewish religious leader. He became a follower of Christ. He experienced transformation, and he wanted other people to experience that same transformation. Here's what I know about many of you and what I know about me. We have experienced a profound transformation in our life that we want other people to experience as well. And so Paul goes on in the next verse, and he says this. He says, when I'm with the Jews, I become like one of them so that I can bring them to Christ. He says, when I'm with the Gentiles, a Gentile is just someone who's not Jewish. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not have Jewish traditions, I try to fit in with them as much as I can so that I can gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. He goes on in the next verse, and he says, My goal is to find common ground with everyone I meet so that I might bring them to Christ. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, this would be like a Vikings fan going, fine, I'll wear green and gold and put on a cheese head if it means leading some lowly Packer fan to Christ. This would be like a Packer fan going, you know what? I'm not going to drink beer for the next year if it would mean leading a Vikings fan to Christ. This would be like you and me who maybe know somebody in our life who doesn't share our political opinions, but we say, you know what? It's more important to me to reach them for Christ. And so I'm going to talk to them more about my faith and about Jesus than anything else. Because I know when the Holy Spirit comes into them, it's going to renew their mind and change the way they think and what they value. Paul says, I'll, I'll sacrifice anything, what I eat, what I wear, how I look, 
how I speak, if it would mean bringing a person to faith in Christ. This is the heartbeat of our church. Our mission statement is to be empowered by God to reach others for Christ. And that is not just a plaque on the wall. We live that. We breathe that. Which is why today I want to give you three reasons why we do church the way that we do it. We don't do church because we want it to be a big show and it's a concert and we're trying to compete with the world. Here's why we do church the way we do it. The first reason is this. Models come and go, but the mission stays the same. Several years ago, our family was on a vacation in South Carolina and on Sunday morning, we decided we're going to go to church. There was a church we wanted to visit that was near there and we were driving out of our resort and we drove past golf courses and tennis courts on Sunday morning that were packed. I looked out at the golf course. It was mostly men, ages 30, 40, 50, 60, out on the golf course. And I remember having this thought. I wonder what it would take to convince those men that being in church would be better than being on the golf course. I mean, some of them maybe were attending online. They had gone the night before. I get that. But I'm guessing a lot of them had been to church in the past and decided it wasn't for them. And so what would it take to convince them that being in church would actually be better than being on the golf course? See, here's the sad reality. If the church context is old and outdated, if it looks bad, smells bad, sounds bad, if it's just plain bad then the message of Jesus Christ can get lost. Do you know who I appreciate in our church so much? It's the older generation who attends, and they don't love our style of music. Just a few weeks ago at our annual meeting, I told the story of Jan Johnson. Jan has attended this church for 65 years. I didn't say that she was alive for 65 years. She attended this church for 65 years, even towards the end of her life when she was in an assisted care facility, she told her son, she said, I pray for people who go to Eagle Brook every day. You may not have known this, but there was a woman praying for you, praying for me every single day that we would experience God's love and God's goodness in our life. Now, I don't know this for a fact. But when the electric guitar kicked in and the drum started smashing, I don't know if Jan was in the back going, woo! <laughs> maybe, knowing her, maybe. But here's what I know for a fact. Jan loved coming to a church that her kids came to. She loved being a part of a church that her grandkids could come and they could connect with God in a very real and personal way. It was never about the model. It was always about the mission. One of my favorite stories in the history of our church is from 2007. We launched our Spring Lake Park campus. And if you were around at that time, Spring Lake Park Baptist Church was kind of in decline. And their leadership decided that to revitalize, they could become an Eagle Brook campus. But not everybody was on board. Some people left. Other people were like, we'll check it out for a week or two. We'll see on the opening weekend, it was a blizzard, and we thought, nobody's going to show up. I mean, we weren't even sure if anybody's going to show up anyway, but now with the snow, there's probably no way that people are going to come. Instead, next thing you knew, we were putting out extra chairs. 
We were parking people on the streets. One of the neighbors called the cops. They're like, what is going on? There's like thousands of people descending on this building that previously there's been like, you know, 20, 30 cars in the parking lot. And I still remember as I pulled around to church that morning, I was driving in and I saw this older woman in her 80s. And she was standing out on the front steps of the Spring Lake Park campus as the snow came down and she just had this big smile on her face as all these cars went by. And it sort of struck me as funny. And so when I got into the lobby, I asked one of our pastors, I said, hey, did you see that woman just standing out there smiling at all the cars? He said, when she came in, she had a tear in her eye. And she said, I have been praying for years that God would fill this building once again. That young families and young adults would start to come back to this building. She said, look at what God is doing. Models come and go. The church used to be marked by stained glass windows and organs. These days, it's marked by things like drums and video screens. Who knows what it's going to be 20 years from now? It doesn't even matter. Models come and go, but the mission to reach people who are far from God, that always stays the same. We don't do a coffee shop, by the way, because we're trying to be cool. We do a coffee shop because people like coffee. And it makes a new person feel more comfortable when they come. We don't do music the way we do it because we want it to be a big show and we want it to be a concert. We have found that many people feel self-conscious to sing, especially when they come to church for the first time. And so we want it loud enough to where people feel comfortable to sing out to God. I was reading through Revelation chapter 4 a while back. And it gives this picture of heaven. If, you, if you've ever wondered, what is heaven like? This gives us a little picture in Revelation 4. And there was claps of thunder, and there was flashes of lightning, and there was trumpets blaring, and choirs of angels singing. And I thought, apparently heaven's going to have lights, and color, and loud sound. In fact, I couldn't think of one example of worship in the New Testament that was quiet. Now, I do want to tell you that when we went to Charleston Church on that Sunday in South Carolina. We did get to a church, and when I walked in, they had Beastie Boys playing in the lobby. I was like, huh? And then I looked at their volunteers, and they were all wearing Jabot's jeans tucked into Nike Air Jordans, and I was like, huh? And one of the volunteers must have noticed me looking at him a little bit weird because he goes, oh, we're in a series right now called I Love the 90s. I was like, oh. Now, maybe you hated the 90s. Maybe you were like Whitney Houston, and you wanted to dance with somebody, and nobody would dance with you. Maybe you loved it when people called you Big Papa, but no one ever called you Big Papa, and you just were bitter all through the 90s. I don't know. But apparently, people in South Carolina love the 90s, because this church was packed with young families who weren't on a golf course, but they were in church to hear a message not about the 90s. I don't even love titles like that, but it wasn't about, it was about Jesus Christ. Models come and go, but the mission stays the same. Here's the second reason why we do church the way we do it. It's this, the truth does not change. Architecture changes, fashion styles change, music styles change, the truth it doesn't change. 
I am befuddled sometimes by churches in our country that haven't changed the aesthetic of their building in like 80 years. I mean, they got the same green carpet that they had 80 years ago. And they're like, we are not changing that. They've got the same music style they had 30 years ago. The contemporary service is songs from 2002. And it's like, okay, I guess we're going to sing Come Now's the Time to Worship again. And and they're not changing that. But then when it comes to whether or not Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, when it comes to whether the Bible is inspired and without error, when it comes to the sexual ethics and morality that Scripture teaches, they're like, oh, that's changed. We've progressed in our thinking. We used to believe in those things, but we don't believe in those things anymore. That's completely backwards. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. I'll talk to people sometimes. They'll be listening to a sermon or a podcast or something, and they'll go, I've never heard that before. And if the topic was something related to spiritual things, I'll say, well, what what was it that they taught? Half the time, I'm like, that's not in the Bible. Like, there's a reason why you'd never heard that before. Something in us is attracted to strange new ideas. Something in us goes, yeah, I know, I've heard the Bible is true. I've heard that Jesus is, is God. I've heard we should pray. But tell me something I haven't heard before. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. That's why as a church, we're committed to speaking the truth, confronting sin, and standing on the authority of God's word. But I want you to notice for just a moment, how did Jesus communicate truth? Here's what it says in Matthew 13. It says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. A parable is a story. It's it's a short story that teaches a spiritual truth. It says he did not say anything to them without using a parable. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say, you know, the, the teaching at my church is not deep enough. And I've heard this about our church from time to time. And usually what they mean is, I want more Bible information. I want to learn something about the Bible that I never knew before. Ignores the fact that the book of James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. Doing it, applying it is the deepest kind of teaching and living. But it also ignores the fact that Jesus didn't teach without telling stories. He told stories about farmers' fields, mustard seeds, rocky soil, lost sheep, prodigal sons, good fruit, bad fruit, salt and light. Jesus used simple everyday examples to teach spiritual truth. I love this quote by Professor Haddon Robinson. He says, just because it's muddy doesn't mean it's deep. Just because you use big words that half the people can't understand, that doesn't make it deep. Just makes it muddy for about half of the audience. In fact, sometimes people will start coming to a church like ours. They'll start maturing in their faith, and then they'll go, why do we do all this? Why do we have these screens and coffee shops and things? Why don't we just sell it all, give the money away to people in need? And there's part of me that's like, yeah. As a follower of Christ, I would worship Jesus in a moldy, smelly basement. The problem is when I go to the parents on my kid's basketball team and I go, hey, you should come check out church. And they say, where do you meet? 
It's pretty hard to say. We meet in a moldy, smelly basement. You want to come? Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I was at our Ham Lake campus in the middle of July. I was singing in worship, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I just broke down in tears. I was just sensing the love of God in my life and the spirit of God. And I looked up at the woman who was singing, and she had a beautiful voice. But I wasn't crying because of how beautiful her voice was. I was crying because I was connected to God. But I had this moment where I thought, I'm so grateful she's using her gift to glorify God. If I was up there singing and I was like, you are a firm foundation, people would be crying, but they'd be crying for different reasons. (laughs) And so I realized that because she was using her gift, I wasn't distracted and I was able to connect with God. And I had this moment where I was sitting there and I thought to myself, I am so grateful she could be using her gift in a bar or a club. She could be using her gift to glorify herself. But she's using her gift to glorify God. It's not just our singers who have gifts and talents. The Bible says if you're a follower of Christ, you have a spiritual gift in your life. Are you using that? We need volunteers in our student ministries this year in the worst way. And I'll talk to people and they'll say, man, the world is just kind of crazy. I just want to change the world. I'm a young person. I want to change the world. Hey, politics is great. Politics is important. But if you want to change the world, invest in the life of a high school student and a middle school student. Help them grow to know Christ and to walk with God throughout their life. Help them learn from some of the mistakes that you've made or your experiences, but pour into their life and use your gift to glorify God. It doesn't even have to be at church. Maybe at your workplace or your school, there's a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus, and you say, you know what? I'm going to start praying for those people. I'm going to start inviting them to come to church. I'm going to start looking for ways to share my faith, because God put me there, and God wants to use my life to impact others. Here's the third reason why we do church the way we do it. Church isn't just for church people. Mission doesn't change, truth doesn't change, and church is not just for church people. Look at what it says in John chapter 1. It says this about Jesus, the Word. Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In other words, he came down from heaven to dwell among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? full of truth and grace. Jesus was full of truth and he was full of grace. And if you were to ask me, what is one characteristic that I would hope would define the people of this church? I would say it's it's that we'd be full of truth and we'd be full of grace. That we would be people who say, you know what, I don't care how much pressure I experience in the world and how much the world wants me to compromise my beliefs. I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word. And I'm going to be full of truth. But if I meet somebody who disagrees with me, I'm going to be full of grace. I'm going to love that person. I don't want them to know me as a person of anger, but as a person of love. I'm going to be full of truth and full of grace. Years ago, my wife met a woman at Aldi. 
you will never hear me start a story by saying I met someone at Aldi. I mean, I said to my wife, I'm like, I don't even talk to people at the grocery store. I just get my food, I check out, I leave. Like, how did you make a friend at the grocery store? But she started talking to this woman and found out that her son was about the same age as our oldest son. And this was years ago, our son was in like a soccer thing. And so this woman said, I think I'm going to sign my son up. And so she did. And after one of the games, this woman had to work. Her son was going to be home alone. And so my wife casually said, would you want us to bring him to church? And she said, sure. And when she came to pick up her son, he was like a walking billboard for Eagle Brook. He was like, Mom, it was amazing. They had free popcorn. They had Papa Shop basketball. I mean, if you're wondering why we do these things, here you go. But then even better, he said, and Mom, I learned about the Bible. And he started telling her what he had learned that morning in church. And she said, I need to go. And so she came to church, and she sat down after the music, and she turned to my wife, and she just said, wow. And then the message spoke into her heart and to her life. She ended up coming on Christmas, giving her life to Jesus Christ, and she was baptized a few months later. This was a single mom going to school full-time, working full-time, trying to raise her son. She had had some traumatic events in her past. But as far as I could tell, God was transforming her life. In three weeks, we are kicking off our fall with a series called It Would Take a Miracle. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because in 2007, when we kicked off Spring Lake Park, we did a series by the same name. And we thought, what better way to bring back this historic series in the life of our church than September 9th and 10th as we launch Minneapolis? But this past Easter, we had you all fill out cards that just said, here's a miracle I'm praying for in my life. And we prayed over those as a staff, and then we said, let's build a series on this. Let's look at the issues that people in our church are, are, are dealing with every day, and let's talk about those issues. And so on September 9th and 10th, I'm going to speak on the topic of, it would take a miracle to find my purpose. So many of you said, man, I'm stuck in this job, or I'm stuck in school, or I just don't know what the future holds for me, and, and God, I just, I just want to know what my purpose is. And then the next weekend, I'm going to speak on, it would take a miracle to heal my hurt. This is by far the most common one. So many people in this church have been hurt by a relationship or trauma in their past, and they're going, God, it would take a miracle to heal that hurt. Here's what I know is true. If there are thousands of people in this church who would love to hear a message on purpose and healing their hurt, there are even more Thousands of people outside the walls of this church who would benefit from hearing about that. But here's my question. How will they know unless someone tells them? How will they hear about it unless someone they know and trust invites them? That's why the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who have the good news. I'm praying for bring at least two people to this series. I know one guy in particular I'm inviting. There's another one that I'm going to pray and ask God for an opportunity to invite. And I would ask you to join me. I would ask you to begin praying and asking God right now, who are two people or two families that I could invite to this series? Because I am telling you, God wants to use you 
to impact other people's lives so that they can experience the love and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together across all of our campuses for that. God, I pray for every person here that they would be full of truth and full of grace. God, that we wouldn't make up our own truth or just start living based on what other people around us believe, but that we would go to your word and stand on your truth. But when we encounter people who maybe are different or have different beliefs, God, that we would be full of grace, full of your love. And God, there are people outside the walls of this church who need you. They don't have purpose. They're they're struggling with hurt in their life, and they don't know how it's going to be healed. And God, how is that going to change unless someone tells them about you and the power that you can bring into a human life? God, I pray that this would sink into our heart right now, God, that we would have a passion to help people who need you and that we would invite them and that we would be ready and willing to answer any questions and to love them, God, that you would use us in their life. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next weekend message is the church just wants to get big. I think it's going to be an interesting one. We'll see you then. Thanks.